This is the War Room Roundtable podcast, the show that takes you around the world to share interviews with some of the most successful and relevant businessmen and women on the planet, hear their stories, and get the most important business lessons they've learned on the road to success, and get exclusive advice on how to implement their successes into your life and business. The War Room Roundtable is brought to you by your hosts, Jason Miller, CEO of Strategic Advisor Board, and Philip Lanos, CEO of Own the Rhythm, and former podcast host for Entrepreneur and Inc. Magazine. Welcome to the War Room. It is an absolute pleasure to have you here, Rachel. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. And you? Both yes, you? we're doing good. Not Spain good. But we're doing good, you know. <laughs> a I, siesta, I, Spain yeah. right now. <laughs> I could go for a siesta myself. <laughs> yeah. You are kind of like LA and Colorado. Groups, uh, yeah, um. yeah. <laughs> um, so this this is a, a great opportunity to ask something from someone who is clearly traveling the world and and, and doing what their heart calls them to do. And so my first question is: Do you come from a family of entrepreneurs? Yes, I do, actually. My father uh, was an entrepreneur. And um, I think if you still asked him if he would work, he would definitely jump on the chance, even at his age now, you know. he, uh, Yes, absolutely. And I would say uh, that spirit of entrepreneurship, um, I carry it from him. I love that. Uh, do you feel like any thing in particular stood out that maybe had a big influence on you uh, when making the decision finally as an adult to like really pursue that path? Um, probably not consciously. Um, I remember working for my father in his office when I was 10, 11, 12. I would always go there in the summer holidays and do my little job and work and get a little bit of pocket money. So I had that spirit of going to his um, work but I guess as well, I've always been a very sort of independent, rebellious type that doesn't take orders very well. And I guess that is another influencing factor when you get older and you realize that you might not enjoy working for other people and that you actually love working for yourself. Yeah. Oh yeah, we there is definitely a trend running of entrepreneurs being essentially unemployable based on a personality perspective. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, again, also share, Philip, Jason, that you know sometimes when you're and I have been in jobs, obviously, but there is a moment where sometimes the boss or the person that you're working with operates on judgments or on how they do things, and there's never that leverage of well maybe somebody else does it differently and I think that frustrated me a lot when I was working um, especially when I was working in a law firm that really frustrated me a lot that there was just that one way of doing things yeah the lack of collaborative potential yeah absolutely and recognition of other potential ah okay because that's, it, uh, yeah that's it's, it's interesting because that that mentality of either do as I say, not as I do, right? or there's only one way, or that's the way we've always done it, or if it ain't broke, don't fix it, or, you know, all these things, right? 
because there's nothing in life that can't be improved. Yeah. And, uh, and the fact that we're talking about potential uh, and and that idea as a whole uh, begs the question, how did you get into education as a career? Uh, And particularly because the work that you're doing is essentially transforming teachers worldwide. So I'd like to know more about how, like how that story connects to this point. Uh, Can you sort of pull the lid back a little bit on how you got here? I can. And and the first thing I'm going to say is Steve Jobs. Hmm. You know, when he said about connecting the, the dots through your life, I literally sit here now and I, I go back to the age of 17 and I start connecting the dots. And I can't start going wow. Um, at the age of 17, I, I moved to Spain. I was madly in love. I moved to Spain, and one of my first jobs over there was actually teaching English. And that's how it all started. I never imagined that's what I would do. Uh, that just happened. And then through life, um, I've always had teaching languages running in the background, always, no matter what I was doing. If I was working somewhere else or if I was studying and I went back to study um, as a late, mature student, I then was, I did 10 years of academia, law, human rights, all different things. And all through the background, I was teaching and teaching and teaching and they were adults or they were teenagers or they were children and they were all different people from different walks of life and when I finalized that sort of period of my life of academia and I decided okay I don't want to go this way what am I going to do now it was almost like everything fell together the teaching the learning the legal Um, perspective that I come into through uh, the academic world and my whole sort of journey then took me into training developing teaching legal and business English on the continent in in Europe and I was working at the University of Verona in Italy and I was working in Germany with top executives and, and business people and legal execs as well And I landed in Germany and was collaborating with a school where this gentleman, he was a great big Scottish guy, veteran, a great personality. And he had touched upon this concept of coaching. This was back in the year 2000 when coaching was still kind of not heard of so much. And he said, I want to do language coaching and I want you to do language coaching. And when I said, Jim, what on earth is language coaching? He literally said, follow the client, do what the client wants, and that's it. And that was perplexing for me because I had no idea how to distinguish myself as a teacher or as a coach. And that's where the journey started for me to develop myself as a professional coach. I came into brain-based coaching. I did David Rock's uh, coaching uh, from the Neuroleadership Institute. That took me then into researching more neuroscience, more neuropsychology, and then coming to creating the concept. Neurolanguage coaching, and then later, over the last years, neuroheart education. So it's been a constant through my life, just joining the dots and not saying, okay, I'm going to do that, just that life has twisted and turned and it's brought me to where I am. 
Interesting. Is uh, we sort of touched on this in, in the call we had just before uh, yours here of this idea of being able to swim with the tide uh, while having an intention about what you want to accomplish. Uh, for you, your heart was centered on teaching one way or the other. And uh, your intention was also to make sure that it unfolded as naturally as possible for the best of everyone involved. I can, I can hear that. And uh, for me, go ahead. I was going to say about 2008, when I created the company, Efficient Language Coaching, for me, there was this sort of burning desire to help teachers and learners to really start to understand the brain, how we learn, what's happening when we're learning, and how to make learning much more effective. And Honestly, at that point in time, I was also thinking, well, what's the reason that I'm just so obsessed with getting people into the brain and into understanding? And now, you know, I do think that we are worldwide, globally, we're at a crossroads in life. We've just come out of two years of pandemic and we're in a situation where life is changing. Learners have changed. Children have changed. We've come through a a period where A lot of learners, teachers are traumatized. And now more than ever, it really is that we need to understand the brain and how to help learners learn and how to help children and and adults to manage ourselves much, much more from this brain perspective. I see. So the emphasis isn't necessarily learning a new language as much as it is learning the language of your brain. Absolutely. And, you know, if you understand that, you can learn anything. Anything. And now we do focus on language, languages, multi-languages. But we also focus on neuro-heart education is for any teacher to then be able to deliver any topic. Definitely. I see. And this applies to, because most entrepreneurs are neurodivergent people as well. Absolutely. We are. I love that. We are. We're unique, each and every one of us. And, you know, before we lived in a system where the learner had to adapt to the teacher. Now we have created a system where the teachers are adapting to the learners. And this is, this is revolutionary. That's actually quite groundbreaking, actually. Absolutely. Absolutely. We have to learn as an educator how our learners learn. And that might be they're all different. How do we do that? Yeah, because you're literally, you're taking a concept of individual mentorship, basically, right? It kind of becomes mentorship more than, than, you know, teaching because you are literally adapting a process for each individual mind right and we are all so different i mean i can i I led thousands of people over a military career and one of the things that i always used to say that kind of bucked the military system was i don't treat everybody the same right because you can't you literally cannot treat everybody the same because not everybody learns the same. Not everybody acts the same. There's an action for 
somebody's reaction to something, right? So you have to like be very individualized. And that's why I always used to say in the military, I mentored thousands of people. I didn't teach them, I mentored them because they needed mentorship. It was still teaching, right? But I just packaged it a different way. But but I had to really learn how to adapt to, well, how do I get private Snuffy to do what he needs to do? And then Snuffy too needs to do this because maybe Snuffy too is a little more sensitive to that or whatever, you know? So it's like, that's a, and it's a really tough nut to crack too, like in bulk, right? In, in a large scale education system anyway. <laughs> It is. And for me, the secret is changing the way that we communicate and coming into that professional coaching communication. Mm -hmm. That's the key. The way that we communicate will open the doors. But we have to learn how to do that. And that's what the the training is about. Absolutely. And uh, has this been turned into sort of a recorded training with course materials and sort of being, being able to go that way, or is it all done uh, word of mouth, sort of spoken lecturing, things of that nature? Honestly, you cannot train to become a coach through mechanical training. You have to sit in the fire and coach. There's no other way. There's no other way. You know, when I get asked, oh, is your course something that I could do? It is, you know, an e-course. No. And the interesting thing is, you know, all these uh, AI programs and platforms. I had so many people contact me at the beginning. Oh, we can help you to put your program into an automated platform. No, thank you. It doesn't work. You cannot train people to do something. It's like training somebody to ride a bike from the computer and they yeah. never got on the bike. No. You have to you have to sit in the fire as a coach. You have to do it to learn it and be able to do it. I believe it's the same with uh with podcasting, for example. The ability to actively listen and anticipate where things may be going. You know, all of that requires sort of being in the environment itself for that secondhand language to really develop pacing in particular, how things are feeling moving forward, is are things lagging behind, all those dynamics from a subtle level, which looks like a normal conversation happening when there's all these calculations taking place to determine whether or not something is going in the direction that it was intended, which is engaging, entertaining, educational, insightful, yeah, it's one. It's like like almost anything else. that's human. It does require osmosis for learning. Is this is this what you're getting at. We are human beings. We're wired to connect with each other. We learn by doing things. You know, even the neuroscience says the person doing it learns it. And this is another thing that, as educators and teachers, we have to stop doing it for them. For many, many, many hundreds of years, I think we've had a very passive learner. And now with coaching and bringing that coaching perspective into the educational process, we're really turning it around and saying, you have to do it more. And getting them into focused goals, focused activities, which they choose. It's about ownership. 
autonomy and getting people to do it for themselves. Yes. And even when I'm training the teachers, it's about training the teachers and getting them doing it. That's the key to everything in life. Oh, yeah. I can think of I can think of all my favorite teachers and the degree of autonomy they created in the classroom. Uh, but with the watchful eye they kept to make sure we were all uh, going along what was intended, which was learning, right? As opposed to just passing the time. Yeah. And like all children learn through play, right? That's through, right. Be, through being in the fire. And we've had this as a recurring theme on the show as well, getting back to that place as children, that, ne- that level of neuroplasticity. And I do think, you know, as adults, we we tend to forget that um, there's a lot of subconscious input that we as adults also can harness as a learning process. So absolutely, I think as adults, it's about finding that joyful curiosity again that we had as a child. So with all this said, Rachel, what do you want the listener to know about what you're doing right now in in this day and age uh, what are you working on and and how can they be involved and support what you're doing so um there are two different directions that we're taking at the moment the first direction is the original one which was uh, the creation of a new way of learning languages a new way of teaching languages and we are training teachers worldwide to become neuro language coaches where they're harnessing the neuroscience the the coaching, and they're bringing in a new way of learning a language, new method, new approach, goal setting, etc. On the other side, we've got the NeuroHeart Education, uh, where we are bringing uh, certifications for educational coaches. And there again, we're bringing in the the neuroscience and the um, coaching and for any topic. And these are running parallel And we literally are global. We are um, delivering in 36, um, um, apologies, we're delivering in 11 languages with 36 teacher trainers in different languages. And we're expanding. We're, We're really coming into that expansion. And it's, for me, it's this quiet rippling where educators are the transformation. Not the systems, the educators are the transformation. And they are now starting to transform some of the schools where they're working, some of the universities, some of the institutions, they're working with private clients. So it's this development and this ripple that's going through the world. What would I ask of uh, people listening to, to go and discover, to explore what we're doing to find out you know I've got some books outside uh, you know in the market and, and lots of blogs but I will also encourage people to start to explore their own thought processes ways they learn and what they can do to bring that transform- transformation to themselves I think it's the era of metacognition at the moment and we're you know, we started in the 1990s with neuroeducation. And my question has always been, why are we taking so long to implement it? 1990, this started. We're in 2022. So I do think it's about all of us 
populations worldwide harnessing, managing, understanding more and more about ourselves. I can see that. And is it uh, efficientlanguagecoaching.com? Is that the best place to get a hold of all of that? The mother site of everything is neurohearteducation.com. Neuroheartseducation.com. Efficient language coaching is actually, if somebody would like to learn a language, they can contact us through efficient language coaching. Yes. I like that. I I think uh, out of all the experiences I've had with learning languages, and I I read and write in Korean a little, uh, Spanish, obviously, uh, but the the only thing that ever seemed to work for me, because it wasn't Rosetta Stone, it wasn't any of those programs that had that style, it just didn't apply to me. Uh, the only thing that ever helped was like Pimsler's method, which I think had its origins with like the military and being able to teach them to learn languages quickly. But I I definitely have an interest myself in learning a language in an efficient way because it, it is hard to maintain if you're not involved in the culture and immersed in it. Absolutely. Pues cuando quieras, Philip, hablamos español, eh? Oh, you see, you see, yeah, and. What I know for a fact, well, you're in Spain, so actually that makes a lot of sense. I was going to say, it's not it's not just whether there was an accident or not, but uh, the body language made a big difference in the way that you said that. Uh, it it carries language differently, and most people can be seen as being native speakers just by adopting the right body language when using. I, I've, I'm a I'm a language nerd, so a lot of a lot of what you're doing for me is fascinating. Uh, yes. and, uh, you should see me in Italian, you know, <laughs> I barely have English down, let alone another language. I'd I done good. <laughs> oh man, no, I, I, I grew up in a family of rednecks, so you know, we're, uh, you know our, our English ain't so good, and then the military completely ruined you. <laughs> Uh, i i once had dreams of being able to teach english in korea particularly because i had grown up in the part of los angeles uh that was called koreatown and i didn't like that i looked at signs and didn't know what they said and i thought how ignorant of me to not know what those are saying if they're in my environment and so i went to the public library and started picking it up and i was like oh wow you can really teach yourself languages And, and then i got lucky enough to have lots of friends who were korean so i got a lot of help there and uh, then they started to get mad at me because a lot of, uh, uh, I guess they'd be third generation American Koreans also don't read and write Korean in general. And so that was a funny thing to learn. And it, for me, there's just so much that happens. You open up entire economies uh, to yourself and ideas and philosophies the minute you can speak another language. And it's just, it's powerful stuff. So big fan of what you're doing. Absolutely. And, you know, even the scientists now are showing that we do adopt different personalities, different characters. We we have different tone of pitch when we speak a different language. You know, it's like, wow. The short time that I did go to college, I took linguistic anthropology in particular is what I was going to be doing. And I remember writing my thesis paper based on that, that there is a dual identity if you're bilingual and that your, your persona in that language that you're speaking has a certain age to it in itself and its capacity. You know, you experience things in different flavors as well when you, you know, and so it's just really fascinating stuff. I, again, I don't get a chance to talk about it a lot, but for me, I, I love what you're doing and I can encourage anyone who's ever thought about picking up that Spanish class again, or what have you to take a look at uh, efficient language coaching.com or, or neuro heart 
what was it? Neuroheart language? Neuroheart education. Neuroheart education. The teacher training, you see the language learning, you see the teacher for language training. So absolutely, that's where you see everything that we do. We do conferences, magazine. We've got the whole community of neuro language coaches worldwide there's about 1200 neuro language coaches now worldwide wow. and they are amazing i have to say a, a community of like-minded educators neuro educators really big fan big fan seriously uh with that said i have i have only two other questions left and before i go there i want to check in with jason and make sure it's okay to start to close this out unless he has got some stuff on his mind let's go Okay. Okay. So the first one, yeah. uh, Rachel, if you will indulge, is uh, if you could go back in time, let's say, to when you were working with uh, the lawyers and you were looking around at what you were doing, and maybe you weren't exactly where you wanted to be, knowing what you know now about where you are and what you're doing, what would you say to that person? I would probably say one day it's going to all make sense and you're going to join the dots. <laughs> I love that. And it's simple. And again, we've yet to have a single person on this show at all say that they would have changed anything. That's that's the funny part. <laughs> Jason brought that up and I thought it was that's very insightful because a lot of we've done at least a couple hundred here now. And not a single person has said I'd go back and I'd change this. You know, all of them are pretty much set on the fact that it all eventually made sense. I do I, I would I would just say this. You say connecting dots. I say you just live life on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> That's what yeah, I would not, say. Sometimes not consciously on purpose. Yeah, probably yeah, not yeah, consciously. Yeah. I mean, I've lived a lot of life not consciously. <laughs> Especially after a couple of scotches, you know. That's right. Uh, yeah. That's a yeah. different kind of subconscious. <laughs> I think that's unconscious. <laughs> um, with that, uh, let's let's bring it to a close now with a question that I'm very curious to hear your answer on, and that is, if you could have invited anybody to be part of this conversation today, your choice, who would you have loved to have had here from any point in time and place in the world? as a guest here to either just listen or contribute and why would you invite them of all people? The first person that comes to mind is Elvis. Elvis. That's Elvis. a new one. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Why? Fascinated, fascinated by his life, his career. Um, even fascinated if he really did die or he didn't die. <laughs> Still a mystery out there. <laughs> a mystery that I actually would say is not concluded. Um, yeah, no, I do think, um, well, I have to say that it was the first man I ever fell in love with at the age of seven. Um, and just following his, his whole career, um, and how he went from a normal kid to such a legend. But I also think with a lot of goodness in him, he wanted to do a lot of good in the world. Yeah. Whether he achieved it or not, some people say yes. Some people say he was an undercover agent. Wow. 
Uh, the mystery yeah. continues. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. So, yes, I'd love to have him here and say, hey, tell us about this mystery that you've gone through in life. I, I think see. he was a I think he was a tanker in the army. He was. He was over mm-hmm. Germany as well. Yeah. yeah and that's yeah. where he was. I well no, I think mm-hmm. he was Sular. Yeah, I think he was in Heidelberg. Yeah. 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 I mean, I I would definitely never put it past anyone who's ever achieved great fame to have been in a position where they were uh envoys of some kind and uh, you know information collectors of some kind or you you name it it just makes sense i mean you know that's neither here nor there but it's a fascinating choice to make and it just goes to show the curiosity you have across the board uh for life in general with wondering you know what it what can we make of someone's life who lived at that scale right who was in front of that many people and who also transformed many a time in front of that many people, whether to great success or great criticism. And uh, yeah, it's a case study for a life well-lived, regardless of how someone else may define well-lived. So for me, I can appreciate that answer. And uh, I'm very grateful that we had the chance to talk today and meet. I'm going to be taking a look at some of what you're doing because as you know, I'm actually a big fan of learning languages uh, from being able to go in Koreatown and be like, uh, we at Hogum Hedges Hill and have them cut my hair. You know what I mean? And, wow. and then, and then them want to go in and then I'm like, because I don't actually know a lot of it. And they're like, Oh, and then they want to engage in conversation. And I'm like, I'm really embarrassed. Cause that's all I really know, you know, here and there, very elementary, but just being able to do that and have the, the proper intonations and what that does for people. Uh, of other languages and cultures and how that changes and bridges a gap that existed before. I mean, it's powerful stuff. If it was up to me, we would all speak all the languages available in the world. Absolutely. And you know what it really does? It opens up that perspective again to neurodiversity, neuroculture, neuro, everything. Yeah, 100%. Well, those are my closing thoughts, and I'm going to let Jason close us out. Well, I think it's a fascinating topic. I think it's a big, heavy lift you've decided to put on your shoulders, but I think the world's got the right person for it. So uh, to, to get her done, as as they say in my redneck brethren, <laughs> get her done, right? So guess what? Go out there and get her done, right? And uh <laughs> Yeah, just keep moving. That's that to me, that's what business is all about. You just keep moving, right? You don't ever stop. You just keep putting one foot in front of the other until you get where you want to go, right? And you get on that train and that train never stops. You never get off at the next station. And you just keep moving, 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 moving. My wife asked me all the time, she's like, I don't know how the hell you do it. But uh She's more of an employee type of person, right? So that's that's how her mind works. She's like, tell me what to do, I'll do it, right? Tell me what to do, I'll do it. Well, you know, my brain don't work that way. It's like, I'm just going to keep moving no matter what. Putting one foot in front of the next. And eventually when uh, somebody calls to say, come on, let's go, it's your time. I'm just going to leave a massive footprint on the on the world for sure. So that's what you're doing. Keep doing it. Keep leaving that footprint because that's what it's all about in the end of the day. 
is who we serve, how we serve them, and how we change the world, even if it's just something, right? It doesn't matter. Just leave a little bit of footprint. So thank you for being on the show. Really appreciate you coming here. I know it's late your time. Time is of the essence for things. And you took the time to, you know, stay up late your time and be here with us. So we very much appreciate that. Me too. Thank you, both of you. Cheers. 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 Thanks for listening to the War Room Roundtable with your hosts, Jason Miller and Philip Lanos. Please leave your feedback and visit strategicadvisorboard.com to get the latest and greatest business advisement on the planet. Follow us on social media for updates. And always remember, if you can dream it and believe it, then you can go achieve it. We'll see you in the next episode.